Welcome to our part two of our special edition of Thursday Mornings with Alex and Don. Joining us again today is Pastor Melissa Warren. We will be discussing the differences of opinion on sexuality in the Christian church. If you have kids that watch with you or listen, you might want to pre-screen this episode. Otherwise, please enjoy the episode and like and subscribe. Share with your friends if you want to, to help us grow this ministry. Thanks. Enjoy. Someone said once, you know, like the, the gift of sex that we've been given is is very much like like that, that, that covenant you make when you you know choose your partner, you know either marriage or you know mm-hmm. some special circumstance is is the same kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. Is is there a similarity there? Am I saying that correctly? I I wrote it down better. I'll, I think I'll let around Melissa here. Melissa, work with that first. Well, no, that's that's okay. Thanks, Don. <laughs> Um, this is where you see the tension, everybody. No, just kidding. <laughs> Let's here, here, hold on. Is how, how God views sex, is it a gift that portrays our spiritual union with him? Um, the utmost giving up of yourself in one relationship um, of having no barriers between, I think, yes, that okay. could be a representation. Um, but one thing I was thinking about is if sex is given as a gift so that procreation can happen. That brings up a whole another set of, of things. And if our only purpose as sexual beings is to bring forth and multiply, um, then that sort of changes how people are able to identify their relationship with God. Because that's not um, the same that all human beings are able to participate in. So that sounds a little weird, but if, if, if sexuality is a vehicle for procreation, and that's where it's considered most holy, then you've left out a whole bunch of people, and you're making a, sort of a statement that says you can't have that kind of relationship um, with another human being or with God because you're not able to produce something from it. Whereas um, if sexuality is a gift in the sense that, like I said, we can, the intimacy, the, the involvement in one another's being, physically in this case, is very much how we are to integrate ourselves into God. Give our whole selves without any barriers. I know it was kind of crazy, but... Well, no, I, I think it's a direct parallel. Uh, as I have, I now have to go to my personal experience. Uh, my covenant with God, uh, both as an individual believer, as a pastor, as a leader in in the community of faith, uh, those involve things that I will do, and I will perform, and I will be part of. Uh, so I, I equate that to the marriage covenant. Uh, but I think the most holy thing is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the Mm -hmm. gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Boy, can I say this on our broadcast? I think that's the closest thing to orgasm I think we could ever come to is that pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And I I would hate to see, and that's where I get this contrast piece, I would hate to see that happen outside of someone who's committed to God. that, That 
that's quite an experience. And that, that Holy Spirit experience, I think, needs to be held in covenant. That would, that would make, bring up the question, Don. <laughs> uh, Which came first. <laughs> well, yeah, or the, the Pentecost experience. Mm -hmm. um, the very, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on everybody. If you were there, the Holy Spirit was in you. Um, and it led to discipling, and it led to relationships with God and new understandings. But I have to always wonder, everybody who was in the, the crowd at the day of Pentecost, um, that Peter addressed and was part of that, did they stick to it? Um, and so, you know, yes, it should be within that covenant, but? When I read the text, I think it happened in that room, the 120 got the, got the Holy Spirit poured out and the, the tongues of fire, mm -hmm. but I didn't think the whole crowd did. And so that's where I, I read mm -hmm. the text a little differently. Right. And, and then I also cite the times, like Cornelius's house. Mm. So Peter shows up, Cornelius has invited him, uh, Peter's had his dream, and he comes, and then he preaches, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up. And they were believers, but they didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit shows up, and they, they manifest uh, the gifts of the Spirit. So that still would be within the context of those who had heard the the news. Uh, True. So I, yeah. Yeah, little, good point. A little different yeah. point to how we read those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's a good, that's a good bridge. It's, it kind of seems, it sounds like, um, like Don, can you allow for, can I allow? For <laughs> the, in, in, in the, in your theology, I guess, if I'm speaking like a dummy, like I am, correct me, please. Could, could your theology allow for the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives that would allow them, you know, acceptance, grant them the, you know, the acceptance, the affirmation for a same-sex relationship? Question mark. I haven't seen it. Doesn't mean it won't happen. I mean, I'm a poor boy from up north. I don't get exposed. Uh, I have friends who are gay who I have experienced the Holy Spirit in, but they were not in a relationship, same sex. They were celibate. Um, I guess I, I'm ignorant enough. I don't have that experience, but I've okay. seen it happen. It kind of sounds like that's... Is that a little bit of what you're kind of saying is the, the, how we interpret the scripture and how we apply it in the world, our, our experiences and that thing, and, and our experiences and our, not necessarily our own theology, but how God grants us, you know, the Holy Spirit to be able to make our own decisions, but then also can bless that same-sex relationship? Um. Well, I would, I would say blessing that relationship, that covenantal, yeah. if it happened to be same gender. Um, yes. Um, but part of that comes from my understanding of, of grace and in the Wesleyan tradition, provenient grace, that God working on someone's life before they even know that God is working in their life. Um, 
that that leads them to seek justification and sanctification. Um, I really believe that's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that they can very much exhibit that and have that internal experience, which is what draws them further into relationship. So, yes. Okay. I don't know <laughs> if I said that the right way. I, well, I might not have answered it the right way, but the way I understood your question. Sometimes I just kind of talk and I muddy up the words until I see someone being like, I understand what you're saying, I'm ready to answer, and then... Right. Well, Alex, let me tell you a little bit about my experience, and maybe it'll help your question and in the way that I think, that I understand that you're trying to get at, yeah. is um, I've had many experiences with, with um, same-gender couples um, and seeing their commitment and covenant services, marriages, um, and witnessing how God is working through them, um, and very much not in the state of celibacy. I mean, very much honoring all of that. And I always remember that it's not the physical act that I think about when I see them, I see them as people who are covenanted together and who have relationship and personality and experience that it's really glorifying something special. Um, I've also, as a pastor, um, seen that we don't get enough opportunity to say, no, I don't want to do this wedding. And that has happened primarily with, with man-woman combinations. Um, you see that people coming to the church and they want to have this, this wedding and they want to have this relationship sanctified or their, or their parents want them to or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you see that they're abusive towards each other or you know that, you know, I give this relationship six months before it becomes a divorce. Um, and, and yet I perform those ceremonies trusting that, you know, God will do with them what God will do with them, and then read in the newspaper that, indeed, they were divorced within six months, or she had to put a restraining order on him, or he had to, you know, because she ran off with the, the neighbor guy, whatever. And so I guess it's the same in all relationships, that you see the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't have to do with if they're the same, same gender or not. Yeah. What do you think about, I think I've heard you say you've kind of had to turn away some couples before. I have turned away couples that I just, there's just not enough there to keep this together. Do you think that is something that the church should be doing, is not allowing God to work? Well, I'm not sure it's not allowing God to work. I think that the thing that we're doing as clergymen and women yeah. is saying, uh, well, most of all, it's a dis-ease in my spirit when we're working on this and I said why am I uneasy in my spirit and then you know I have enough counseling training saying this is just what on earth is pulling the two of you together because there ain't nothing working here mm -hmm. and uh, you don't even agree in pastoral counseling how on earth are you going to agree uh, on which church to go to and and how many kids you're going to have and all those other things that we need to work with as couples and uh, it, you get through one session of counseling, you go home tired, and you say, oh, I'm sure glad I've got my spouse. Um, I've turned them down. I mean, I guess I feel it's my duty to say, hey, I'm not participating in this. 
And even at that rate, there was one that I went ahead and had the wedding that I wasn't, I, I told him flat out, I don't think you two ought to get married. And uh, the, the lady came back five or six years later and said, you're right, Don. So I wished I hadn't done what I did, but if I didn't, somebody else would have. I know. We get in those situations. Right. And so you just breathe as much as you can into the ones that you really can actually do. Right. As an efficient, um, I have one particular couple in mind. They, they had a child together. They were young. Um, they wanted to get married in the church. But in the process of counseling, I actually had the conversation with the bride to say, I'm concerned for you in this relationship. Um, you know, if, if the groom is going to be mad and storm out of my office because I won't let him have ACDC as the music when he walks in the sanctuary, yeah. um, you know, I on, don't... On the pipe organ? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. How did you deny that? Yeah. Well, but I mean, yeah. I'm pretty flexible, but that was not an appropriate request. And, and he stormed from the room, and I got a call from the district superintendent who said, okay, the mother of this guy is saying that you're not going to perform this wedding. And, and I'm saying, no, 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 let's hold on. I'm concerned about the health of this relationship. And I said that the church has to have some standards. There are some things that we just cannot allow. Um, but then I was told, well, I will go back and talk to the, the parents. However, these parents give a lot of money Mm. These parents have a lot of influence in the community, and if you alienate them, the congregation will suffer financially. Uh, the politics. The politics. Even and, in the church. And I performed, I performed the ceremony. And they had ACDC. No, they did not. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, they did not. Um, Someone accidentally oh. smashed up the sound system. Uh, yeah. No. no. <laughs> but that illustrates a lot of the position we're put in in those situations. It's, it's not. Uh, I, I was slated to baptize a young man and uh, found out the night before that he was living with a lady, and, and he had not told me that. And so I, I just wanted to postpone the baptism till we had a better understanding of what was going on in his life. And that blew up in the church that I was pastoring, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't baptize this guy. I wouldn't, why wouldn't you baptize this guy? You may never get the opportunity again to baptize this guy. And so it was a big deal. And if we're called to be pastors and gatekeepers of the community of faith, there's got to be a little trust and, and faith that we're doing our job. And that we're doing it with the best of intentions for the entire community, for the relationship with God, and maybe without being able to release all of the information that's at our disposal. Um, that's true. I often hear myself say, "I will, I will take the, sh I will take the bullets," um, because you know this is important enough that I know that people will never have all of the information I have, and. Um, Somebody has to be the one that says it stops here. Um, it doesn't make you necessarily look good as a pastor in the community to have mm -hmm. people out there saying what they think you thought. Yeah. Um, that's sort of taking us away from the topic, but at the same time, it's not. Um, right. You know, we have to have conviction of, of purpose in 
all of our ministries, not just doing the, the special moments of baptism or, or marriage, or even offering communion. Um, we always say in the United Methodist Church, we celebrate an open table. Everyone is welcome. If you desire to have a relationship with God, it's here for you. And we never, we don't check. You know, right. we don't say, you know, I just saw you yelling at your girlfriend and drinking at the bar the other day. You sure? You sure you're ready for this? I'm not going to offer you this. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, goodness. And the idea of not offering the sacrament. Um, and I think that's where, for me, this ties back to the church's relationship with persons who identify as LGBTQ. Um, I never want to be somebody who stops a vehicle of grace that God is trying to put in place. And if I'm going to choose one topic or one attribute of that person and say, nope, you can't because, then I feel like I'm not fully doing God's work. And, and, and that's, I think that's where I get labeled on the other side um, is you ca I can't hold a theology of God's loving grace and say, but not for you. It's not necessarily not for them, but just for their certain how they view themselves as. But that is their humanity, right? Because that's, that's the part that appeals to my emotions is the uh, how they must feel not being accepted. This is not for you because of who you feel you are. Well, right? see, you say who you feel you are, and I would say that it's not who you feel you are, but who you are. The issue of sexuality is not um, a flippant choice. I mean, people make decisions within that, but who you're created by God as, I really don't believe that persons are, um, that they choose to be one way or another. That, that, that is inherent in our very created being. You don't think that there's a little, like a, um, a learned behavior with that at all? I think because I've recently heard some statistics on, you know, again, polling statistics, but the kids who would say in a, like, classroom setting that I identify as not straight has gone up, you know, like, 10 years ago, everyone thought it was crazy because it got up to, you know, like, 0.6%, but now it's, like, up to, like, 5%. Um, and, I, and I would say that there's always some element of, of needing some nurturing in anybody under the age of 18. That high schoolers indeed can know their own mind, but they don't know the mind that they're going to be when they're 25 oh, or yeah. 40 or 50. And so um, sexuality in youth is a very different topic. Um, a very different topic. Mm -hmm. And the church, I think as a whole, would not be trying to dissuade youth from coming to church. Right. Um, and they're certainly not going to use their sexuality against them in the same way that we would use sexuality against an adult. That's fair. And see, I come from a little different b background because uh, back in the old days and in the way our churches were built, there were actually two rooms. And there were women on one side and men on the other side. And you went through an examination before communion because if you didn't pass the examination before communion, then you didn't take communion that evening. And uh, you would appear before 
the bishop or the, the minister, and there would be two questions. Are you at peace with God, and are you at peace with those around you? And, you know, if he knew that you had a beef with your aunt and you had to deal, deal with that before, then it was a time where you could take the week between the examination and, and the communion mm -hmm. service to go and make those relationships right. It, it's a reflection on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29, 27, 29, 8, 29 in there, where we examine yourself mm -hmm. before communion. And uh, then if you pass your examination, you have communion. Mm -hmm. And often it was seen as closed communion because it was those who had actually went through that process and, and felt good about it. I think that's biblical, that we need to have that examination before we take communion. I'm not the judge. And so that's why, I, um, you know, on Sunday morning when we have communion, I, I give the congregation the questions. Mm -hmm. And if they choose not to participate in the communion that day, that's because I think they're really taking it seriously as to whether or not they're in good standing with God and good standing with those around them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the big piece of that is you're not the judge. Um, I, yeah. I couldn't ever feel comfortable putting myself in that position because, um, you know, if they turned around and asked me the same questions, how would, you know, how would I be able to respond? On any given Sunday when I'm offering communion, um, somebody might have just verbally attacked me right before worship. I mean, unfortunately, that happens a lot. Um, and, and I might not be in a good place. You know, let's say, well, that Alex, he came mm -hmm. to me and he, he was... Yeah, he was chewing on me about um, not not doing the right thing for the soup supper. Well, to heck with him. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have to go up there and do the service. And then Alex comes forward and I'm thinking, but I can't do that. And so instead it's, you know what? I get the benefit of being able to offer this sacrament. And it's no longer about me and Alex it's about what God's doing. And so offering the sacrament is very different than choosing to take the sacrament. Um, that Sunday might be a good idea that I not take it because I'm not in a good place. But Alex can take it, even though I'm mad at him. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, that addresses you know, how the, the church leadership roles you know, broadly touch on everything. You know, it's not just about who gets to decide if, um, what the doctrine is. Are you going to marry uh, gay couples, straight couples, lesbian couples, anything like that, or all the broad spectrum? But there are fine lines in there where you do have, like you said, you wouldn't say, no, you can't have this communion, but at times there's not going to do this ceremony. I, where do those lines lie? I don't feel like there is a lot of space to say, I can't, I won't do this ceremony. Okay. Um, if someone comes to me through my position in the church, if someone comes to me from the community knowing that I'm a pastor, I absolutely will say, no, nope, I'm busy that weekend. I mean, I will, I will lie if I have to to get out of it simply because I know that I can't in good conscience honor that. Um, I've even done that same thing for baptism. There was a, a, a friend from college. They, were, they had gotten married. They had these, they had these beautiful little girls. They wanted me to come to their home and do the baptism. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Right. You can't or you won't. Well, I'm sorry, I won't 
do that because your your daughters are not dying there's no you know imminent concern for their soul and baptism isn't about magic water it's about covenant and community and so having the agency to say that having as you put it um, Alex sort of the the ability to sort of broaden it out or having that need to touch that's that's where for me ministry also with self-avowed practicing homosexuals is a unfortunate phrase that we've not been able to throw out from the United Methodist Church um, I feel I'm called to that ministry as well where do you think the pastoral role is or the leadership role is as far as what can and cannot be done well I I know there's some politics in it right with you know what the right. SPRC committee decides is what you will do but well they better not ask me because I, I just don't see it happening I just that's not where I'm at yeah that's not what I uh, yeah. yeah, and I'm not Methodist. I don't no. have this. I know Doug Q's not going to come and give me a hard time because he knows I'll give it right back. <laughs> That's right. He's scared of you, Doug. <laughs> he must like it. He does. <laughs> um, uh, but yes. yeah, I'm not in the same situation you are, and so uh, no, I right. yeah, it won't happen. I mm -hmm. also I also believe that God places us as pastors in certain places at certain times for certain things, and. Uh, the likelihood, Don, of someone coming to you wanting a same-gender um, marriage at the Westchester United Methodist Church, the, the potential of that is so unbelievably low that we would consider it all virtually non-existent. Well, I brought that up hundreds of times at meetings. We don't have a center aisle in this church, so I don't, I don't, I've never been to a wedding here, and I can only, right. there's only a couple people that know more than three times, so. Well, and even if this was the most picturesque place in the, in the world, this is not an area that is that has a lot of persons who are in same-sex relationships would feel comfortable coming. True. Um, and so, um, Don, I, I believe fully that God would not place you in an urban church um, where you know the primary ministry was to homeless LGBTQ youth. Not because you wouldn't be a wonderful vessel for God's grace, but. God also knows where our strengths and our weaknesses and where our limits are. True. Well, in that case, yes. But I have had a lot of friends that were mm -hmm. homosexual. Oh, yes. And so, uh, yeah, they never asked me to marry them. But uh, it's not like I'm isolated quite to that extent. No. I think the biggest fear I had was because I take a stand on the issue, someone would come forth and test me on it hmm. because I've, I've experienced that kind of thing before because I do tend to be rather outspoken really we maybe, are maybe you can't affirm that <laughs> oh I can affirm that yeah. boy we're all birds of a feather in that aren't that's we? why I like you guys so that's much why we're flocking yeah. together today yeah that's right absolutely so that's I'll why I got to bring you guys in to get a little bit better material <laughs> Well, this should spice things up for a while. Yeah. Well, we hope so. <laughs> Were you going to ask a question? Well, I was just, um, this is sort of the caregiver in me. So, Alex, do you think we're covering the topic the way you 
envision. Yes. I mean, yes. are we there really hitting the nitty gritty for yes, you? Yes, I think so. I'm okay. kind of disappointed in Don. He hasn't <laughs> quoted one verse of scripture so far. He did too. The two. Corinthians First one. Corinthians 11. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Man, because I was going to have to hold that over your head. And he for... talked about Cornelius. You weren't listening. Alex. Oh, I was too. I was. I, I just. <laughs> I didn't see the, you did open your Bible too. I don't know what the heck I'm thinking. Man. It's all right, Alex. Well, it's only it's been like an hour, so it's all right, oh, Alex. Oof. I know we might we might split it in the two. And there's no blood on the floor because you couldn't see it because it's maroon anyway. Well, yeah. So maybe we'll get there. We'll see. <laughs> um, okay, so I think this. I think we did a good job showing both sides, and I think it's important that we look at and understand. You know, what we have spoken about the different topics or the important topic and what we always touch on in our videos is just the resentment that we both have for our own abilities to have conversations and not, not respect the other side enough that it drives us to anger and the things mm -hmm. we do from anger the things we say the feelings we have and have it outside the room rather yeah. than let's talk it out with each other mm-hmm this yeah that just gripes me mm -hmm. yeah Yep. Or make accusations yep. from generalizations. And assume we know what the other person is thinking. Yep. Um, there's a, a book that we're required to read in circuit ministry um, through the United Methodist Church, and different circuits are in different places. Our circuit's way behind, but it's called The Anatomy of Peace. And the initial part of the book is about um, coming into a conflicting situation where there's clearly there's some issue um, but coming at it with a heart of peace um, not coming ready to give your best ammo and you know let them have it but at peace with yourself and at peace with the person and seeing them as another human being and not just someone who disagrees with you um, and I think that's really valuable and especially valuable in topics that become so emotional so quickly. Mm -hmm. it is sometimes you can feel yourself just approaching a topic. Oh, yes. And it's like, yeah, hold on. Mm. That's when we stop listening for hearing what the other person's saying and when we start listening to refute yeah. or rebut. Yeah, if you can, yeah, listen, if anyone's listening to this, you can identify that in your head. I just recently started to be able to do that. That's tricky, but once you can see it, it's easier, but still it gets away from you too. Just the not listening, waiting for that next thing to slip in. Like I noticed it when I first started, we started doing this where <laughs> he was saying things and there was one, I think it was like the third episode, I literally asked him the same question that he just said. And of course, just no, professional. <laughs> and, and he goes, well, and he says like the same thing again. And I went, like, wow. <laughs> well, okay. He's a good sport, <laughs> but yeah. I know you're talking about it. Yeah, but that heart mindset of peace, it's good. Well, and that's interesting because the Mennonite church had peace at its core, mm -hmm. and we still couldn't do it right. So uh, it, it, we're human. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to not personalize so many things. Um, I don't know about your experience, Don, but often people come with a larger gripe, sorry, a larger gripe, but they immediately personalize it and make it about me. Um, and so learning to sit there and get over my initial response because 
my first response is never the best. I always have to give it a moment of thought. Um, and learning not to, not to say, oh yeah, well you just told me that I'm a stupid, well you're a stupid Ed. Yeah. Um, because it, it hurts. Mm -hmm. And sometimes listening opens up some really deep wounds. But I have to remember that that's not why this person came to me to open up my wounds. They came because they're hurting. And what is it that they're really doing? And I'll go home or I'll call my therapist and deal with my hurts later. True. Mm -hmm. and, and so often when they come, they're coming to control you, mm -hmm. to get their problem taken care of through you. So it's uh, often when they're attacking us, it's, mo it's, uh, it's trying to uh, control the situation, get the motivation, get us off our center mm -hmm. so that they can get what they want out of us. Right. Control. Right. I'll definitely say that that SPRC committee, which stands for... Staff, Pastor, Pastor Parish Relations. Thank you. I'm glad you yeah, never, They never covered that in the initiation ceremony when they're like, hey, you know you're on this board now? I am? Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. It's God bless you. It was such a weird, weird thing to be a part of because then all of a sudden now you're having to make decisions that you don't want to make based on what you think the congregation wants and most of them don't really speak up unless you've done something wrong and you're not telling the pastor unless they're done doing something wrong based on oh man it's such a weird based on what they think is right yeah exactly so, uh, right there's a lot of variables that nobody has control over right and a lot of things when you're not a part of those not a part of the you know uh organizations within the church the structure the you know the planning the decision making it's so easy to be like gay marriage I'm, you know let them do what they want to do until all of a sudden it's now you're on this board and you have to decide if now you're going to allow it man that's hard right um the conversation that i had with the three congregations that i'm currently serving is that um bishop Laurie's announcement about congregations being able to make the decision for themselves pastors being able to make the decision for themselves, I said, doesn't change the ministry that we do in these places. And I said, you know, if we were, one, doing a lot of weddings, it would be a much bigger issue. I said, but if, if we had actually encountered this specific topic, we would have discussed it, but we haven't. And so we're going to hold this conversation until it's at a time because Talking about things in the theoretical is never as useful. Yeah. But, I tell them, I also get to have my own agency and the decisions that I make do not have to reflect upon you. So, for example, if a couple came to me and said, will you do our, our wedding, a same-sex couple came to me, um, I have the choice to say yes or no, but I do not have the choice to say, well, congregation, like it or not, we're doing this. And... That was really good for them to hear and remember that as pastors, we represent something outside of the congregation as well, that we are not the ministry. We are just the, the shepherd helping people be discipled into where God's calling them. And they have responsibility for their own choices. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I, I'll let's close on a kind of a final question. Like what would be your... 
uh, two-sentence answer, you know, how do we heal this situation? Church is dividing. Church looked, uh, you know, unfavorably towards someone's humanity. How do we, how do we touch those lives? Well, I hate to spiritualize it, but let's expel the demons. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're allowing the church to be controlled by something that is not holy, that's not set aside for Christ. It's coming in from the outside. It's moving us to a place we're uncomfortable. Let's call it out mm -hmm. and uh, not let it control. What does that look like? Well, you could go really deep and say, you know, we expel it in the name of Jesus Christ, whatever this is, and, and let's get rid of it. Or we could just, each and every one of us realize, we bring our own little demons into the sanctuary every Sunday, and we need to be a confessing church, binding demons, and get them out of our, our wherewithal, and, and come before Jesus Christ knowing that we need his salvation, not only that first salvation that, that brings us to the cross, but we need that salvation every day knowing that we don't do everything right either. Now that changes then how I look at the person sitting in the pew next to me, realizing they come to Jesus the same way I do. And likely we have something, both have something to confess and, and lay before Jesus. It's, uh, we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. None of us are any better than anybody else. And the judgment needs to be first on ourselves. I think when Jesus talks in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, the, point, the pointed piece of that passage is the fact that if I see a speck in my brother's eye, then my first response, according to Jesus, is to get the plank out of my own. Because the very same thing is present in my own life, just to a larger effect. And I need to take care of that. And then, it doesn't say, don't help my brother. And then, after I've cleared up my life, got that big old plank out of my eye, then I take that speck out of their eye. Because I know what it feels like to have something in your eye. We aren't there yet. Um, a phrase, I don't know where I first heard it, but I just sort of, in the back of my mind, is this the hill on which you want to plant your flag and die? And I don't believe that, that the issue of human sexuality is a place where we should draw a line in the church. It's not, it's not the overarching thing. Um, that each of us has to bring in our own understanding. Um, but saying that, I think in order to sort of heal some of the rifts and some of the wounds, we need to be really honest with ourselves about where we stand. Um, as a United Methodist, I say that, that splitting apart of, of ideology is not the worst thing that's ever happened to the church. No. And um, if it allows for people to be uh, have integrity 
with the ministries that they are participating in and doing, and it keeps us from villainizing one another, then I say, go for it. Um, and that's a really brave thing to say as United Methodist on April 28th, mm-hmm. 2022. <laughs> what year is it? 2022. Yeah, you got it. Because um, there is a significant portion, well, I say significant because any feels any, significant, yeah. that as of May 1st will have that option. And um, that makes me sad. I would love for us to be able to all play together and, and whatever, but if this particular issue is one that for which they are willing to destroy what is, then they have made that choice. I don't believe it's what is causing the rift at all. It's just a very convenient, easy to see um, moment. So. Yeah, and it's a whole lot easier to say what we're against than what we're for. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Common, it's that you know, find an enemy, and then you have all sorts of friends that want the same thing. Right, and then then others don't notice how much of enemy kind of things you have in your own self. Yeah. Let's throw the throw the shade over here because mm-hmm. then that way I don't look so bad. Right. Yep. Yep. I think we did a good job. Is anything else that you haven't that you wanted to say and didn't? Or haven't yet? Anything you want to make sure you add? Points unmade? No. It's been good to be together. It has been really great. Um, I guess because I'm always coming from this mindset, at some point it would be awesome to hear someone talk through United Methodist history and John Wesley. Um, you know, the, the quadrilateral, the idea of scripture, tradition, reason, experience. Um, I always like to bring that into a conversation. We couldn't do that today, but that's perfectly appropriate. It's, yeah. it's too big, too that much. It is big. And yeah. we'd bring it, um, even though I may use it in my understanding of this issue, it doesn't matter in the right. larger conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'd say if anyone hasn't like looked into the history of the Methodist Church, what Wesley did and that quadrilateral, it's a really interesting way to view things. It is, especially since it wasn't specifically Wesley, but it, you know, it, it's a great way to uh, yeah. bring it. Well, I mean, because I always have to remind myself about that. It was not, Wesley never mentioned quadrilateral. Yeah. He mentioned all the parts, okay. right? Um, but it's also useful in looking at the larger history of the United Methodist. Thanks again well, for joining Methodist us for this week's episode. The United States. We are both having um, a ton of fun our place making these justice, videos and episodes. Uh, Native Americans. And if you're having fun too, with them on the trail of tears, about this uh, where we stood in the Civil War. Help us grow this mission. All of those things um, really inform a lot. But again, that's another whole. Oh, that's a huge. Uh, yeah, now you say social justice, and that'd be looked upon upon like. Most people would cringe at that word, like, oh, you social justice, but... It just meant that you were, <laughs> that you were aware of the slavery issue yeah. and chose a side mm-hmm. and validated that with your faith and with your experience. So, yep. yep. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, I think <clears throat> that's a good wrap. If anyone's uh, if you're watching, you know, kind of the ideas that we, or the consensus I think we found is, you know, the church is a place to come to know God, to bring your sins, have wrestle with your sins with other believers, that's what we're here for. That's what God brought us to community for. 
Does that sound about right? Yeah, and not at, not pointing our finger at specific sins or our perception of what are specific mm -hmm. sins. And God. we're all wanting to keep our eyes on Jesus. Absolutely. Him. Yeah, that, that discipleship piece is pretty high on my agenda. Oh, mm -hmm. I hope. I'm hope I'm better today than I was back in 19. Well, let's not say <laughs> how long ago. 1980. You're both doing a great job with that. I was in third grade, so I hope I'm better too. <laughs> uh, Don, okay. Don loves when you date him. Shot fired. We're done with this one now. Yep, yep, no, yep. I couldn't resist. Sorry. Yep, yep. I, was I, like, can't I either, noticed yeah. we couldn't resist. And it's all right. It's yep. all right. That's it is what it date. is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for watching. If you made it through the whole video in one sitting, you get a sticker. Yeah, I'll um, too, and we'll pray for you for sure. Absolutely. Yep. yep. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks.